Okay, guys, 40 here. Let's uh, turn things over. Let's see what uh, Tucker Carlson has to say. Okay, Tucker. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight here in the United States, we've been so deeply engrossed in our own debates over whether men should be allowed to compete on girls' swim teams or whether it's immoral to carry our groceries in plastic bags that we have missed the fact that the government of China has been busy with its own agenda, taking over the world. In the space of just 15 years, for example, the Chinese have succeeded in recolonizing the entire continent of Africa. Didn't think that could happen? Well, it is happening. In Africa, China now calls the shots and takes the natural resources for itself, period. As of tonight, there is only one remaining African country that dares to recognize Taiwan. And it happens to be among the smallest countries in Africa, Swaziland. Everyone else on the continent obeys Beijing. But wait a second. How can this be happening? Isn't colonialism racist and bad? Yes, it is. And no one's worse and more racist I'll do than the first Chinese. To show you. Go on Chinese social media sometime and see how they describe the Africans they've subjugated. It's horrifying. So why isn't the New York Times writing stories about any of this? Africans they've subjugated. You know why because the New York Times is on China's side. That's why they all but ignore the brutal Chinese colonization of Latin America, which is also in full swing right now. Colonialism violates everything the New York Times once claimed to believe in, but that's okay because they never really believed any of it anyway. It was always about power. We came to Brazil this week to see for ourselves what the Chinese are doing to Latin America. We're making a documentary about it for our Tucker Carlson original series. Brazil has the last pro-American government in Latin America. It's our single most important ally in the Western Hemisphere. Allowing Brazil to become a colony of China would be a significant blow to us and potentially a very serious military threat. The Biden administration appears to be in favor of it. One person who's emphatically not in favor of it is the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro. So, of course, the American media hate him. Here's some of their slander. The United States isn't the only country lurching dangerously towards authoritarianism. It is happening all over, indeed. Just yesterday, for example, Brazilians elected Jair Bolsonaro. Usually you don't get rid of an aspiring dictator through the electoral process. Brazil is going to have trouble with Bolsonaro. It's that same authoritarian, like, women-hating, you know, racist energy. He's the Trump of Brazil. President Bolsonaro doesn't believe in social distancing, doesn't want lockdowns, much, much more extreme than President Trump. Brazil's far-right nationalist president, Jair Bolsonaro, spoke at an event in Dallas. These two men and fellow travelers like Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin represent the growing global threat to the ideas of liberalism. <laughs> These are people whose research consists of three minutes on Wikipedia on the way to the studio. He's a racist. Of course he is. He, quote, doesn't want lockdowns. There's your proof. But it is the last clip from plagiarist Fareed Zakaria that explains why they're so mad at Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro, Fareed Zakaria tells us, represents a, quote, growing global threat to the ideas of liberalism. Liberalism, meaning neoliberalism, meaning globalism. And in fact, that is true. Bolsonaro is no Justin Trudeau. He's not a low IQ fascist who would be working as an Instagram influencer if he doesn't have his own army. He's not the president of Ukraine who shuts down television stations that dare to criticize him and outlaws opposition parties and arms Nazis. In conventional terms, Bolsonaro is in fact liberal. 
He has done nothing to stop civil liberties in Brazil. But at the same time, he is a nationalist. He cares about his country. He resists China. Therefore, he must be stopped. George Soros hates him, and so does Joe Biden. Hi, He's everybody. with the program. So naturally, we wanted to meet him. Yesterday, we did. We sat with Bolsonaro for more than an hour. And the first thing we learned is that the left in Brazil hates him very much. They tried to kill him when he first ran for president four years ago. With very little money and the backing of no party, he came out of nowhere to get 57 million votes. But he almost didn't survive to be elected. He was stabbed by a leftist almost to death at a rally, at which point the left funded lawyers to come in and rescue his attempted murderer. <laughs> An amazing story that hasn't gotten a ton of coverage in the United States. He's an authoritarian, says MSNBC. All right. So we asked Bolsonaro about the stabbing in our conversation. We also asked him about his Christian faith, which is on display, something else that triggers them. We asked him about our Supreme Court's stance on abortion, his views on gun rights. And we asked him, fundamentally, why do you think you're so hated? Here's the first part of the conversation. The parallels between politics in Brazil and politics in the United States are striking to an American. You are opposed by a coalition of billionaires, college professors. Wow, this is some hard-hitting interview. Like, please tell me about your faith. Okay. So, here's the big story today, guys. Savannah Hernandez. What, what can we say? Big tech keeps, big tech keeps, big tech keeps trying to destroy my career, but I am relentless. I mean, this girl is relentless. Okay. Chat says, will Luke end up selling stiffness pills like Alex Jones? Keeping my question classy since he keeps his temple clean. I'm, I'm a 19th century Victorian gentleman. At least I thought I was until I went to visit a friend the other day. And he has a really posh place. And I, I needed to go visit the Dunny at one point. And I mean, his Dunny was, was cleaner than my kitchen. His Dunny was cleaner than my living room. His Dunny was cleaner than my bedroom. His Dunny was cleaner than my office. I mean, it, so it, it, was, it, just, it was just an amazing place. And thanks to... Thanks to these miraculous Azo Cranberry Urinary Tract Health Pills, all right, I, I just like, I just stood up in front of the porcelain bowl, and I mean, I just let loose a stream like a racehorse, and I've had a lot of women comment on what a, a strong stream I have. I mean, I, I think I was like plinking and like damaging the porcelain. The, the stream w was so solid. I mean, you just ask anyone. It's like, just like, sounds like a racehorse. And, uh, you know, I've at the end, I just feel great. And uh, it's like it's a posh dunny over at a mate's house. What could be better? And then I, I'm walking out, and I realize I'd left the bloody door open. I left the door open, and, I mean, when I whiz, it's like a racehorse. I mean, the, the, just the splunking off the porcelain. And here I was thinking that I was this 19th century Victorian gentleman, but but I realize I may be somewhat delusional. And there's nothing like talking to friends to make you realize how delusional you might be. So it was, it was a moderately warm day. The other day it was like 
it was reaching 80 degrees and, and there was there was sunshine and so my friend offered me a ride back right it was it was like one mile away but he offered to drive me drive me home at like just one mile it's like and i thought about that i am 56 years of age and i've never offered anyone you know a one mile ride home i mean even women that i was dating even women that I knew intimately, I would often, you know, drop them off at the corner and they'd have to schlep a mile, you know, to, to their place. I, I didn't want to miss Mincha. Like I, I had one woman stop, stop dating me because I let her off at the corner because I needed to get to Mincha Mari, man. I needed to you know, reconnect with Hashem and follow, follow the mitzvah. So I couldn't believe that my friend offered me a ride home, a one mile ride it, it 80 degree possible temperature. I was thinking, wow, wow. I was kind of embarrassed because it would never occur to me to offer someone a, a, a one-mile ride home. And then it, it made me realize, again, that hospitality is not one of my strong suits. So let's say you're coming to L.A. and you think, oh, i got to rock up to 40's house. 40 will put me up. No, 40 will not put you up. 40 will likely not even drive you around. He certainly won't drive you one mile just because it's like 80 degrees out. And so I, I mentioned to my friend that, uh, you know, I'm not really strong in, in the virtue of hospitality. And, and I thought, okay, I, I'm now off the hook. I, I've just, I've been clear. I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly strong on the character asset of hospitality. I'm not like Abraham in, in the Bible. And I thought, okay, good. We, we, can, we can just uh, move on now. But my friend said, well, the good thing is that's easy to fix. I didn't know we were then going to talk about maybe fixing, improving on, making progress with my character defects. I thought I just confessed that I suck at hospitality and then we just move on. But, oh, I, I can improve. And so I was talking about how, how I don't like to date women my own age. You know, I don't particularly find them attractive. I'm really only interested in dating women under 40. And my friend made the obvious point. There are many very well-preserved women in their 50s. Is this just another example of my self-destruction? Right? Is this just another example of my martyr's complex? That, you know, if I, if I don't get the 32-year-old, like somehow I'm going to overlook the, the, the attractiveness of, say, a 55-year-old woman? I mean, who has so much more life experience, who is probably so much stronger, who's, you know, willing to call me out on my stuff. All right, and, and I'm going to pass that by. I mean, how, how self-destructive am I? So I, I think this is a reason why many people kind of minimize the old human connection thing, because when you start connecting with people, you see how deluded you are. You see how selfish you are. You see how you're lacking in social graces. Uh, you see all these ways that you need to improve. You see how you've been, you know, lying to yourself. I just thought when it came to my character defects, I could just like name them, claim them, and then we can just all move on and like share a dirty joke. But uh, apparently, some of these character defects are relatively easy, relatively easy to <laughs> easy to make progress on. So. Here we go. Rest in peace, Dr. Zelenko. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Zelenko, for the Zelenko protocol. So he's been dying of cancer the last four years. Uh, Luke, beware of Brazilian women who make it to the U.S. 
there are suspect ways that they earn that plane ticket. I remember there was one guy who didn't appreciate my blog, and he said, don't you know that for less than the price of a plane ticket to Brazil, I could have you wiped out? Stick with the lying Lady Cassidy from yesterday, 25 years old, Luke's favorite. Yeah, I think 25 is a good age for me. Like, I'm 56, but I'm incredibly immature for my age. So I, I don't know that she was lying. I, I just think her, her claims deserve an honest hearing and investigation. But you, you look at the, the mainstream media, and, and how, do they, how do they cover it? It's all about, oh, the campaign to discredit Cassidy Hutchinson has begun. Well, I hope so. I mean, should we, should we treat her words as, as sacred scripture? Oh, no, can't question Cassidy Hutchinson. I mean, if, if her allegations don't stand up to scrutiny, they're, they're not important. But why is questioning Cassidy Hutchinson, why, why is that heresy? Right? There should be campaigns to discredit people who dominate the national conversation. I mean, accurate criticism makes me better. Accurate criticism would make Cassidy Hutchinson better. Accurate criticism would make the Democrats better. Accurate criticism would make the January 6th committee better. Accurate criticism would make Tucker Carlson better. Like, everybody is better with accurate criticism. I, yes, before he died, Dr. Zelenka shared his secret protocol with me, and he asked me to carry on his work. And he, he sent me to a pond where the Lady of the Lake kind of arose out of the, out of the, the depths, and she presented to me the Zelenka protocol or, or the pills, and she said, it has been given to you, to carry on the Zelenko protocol. I, I, can, I can do no other. So Ed Dutton had baked Alaska on. Oh, man. So even Odyssey has been DDoS attacked for a week now. Rumor all rivals to YouTube are being served lawsuits right now. There's a, there's a funny baked Alaska clip about 20 seconds long where he's talking to this girl about pussy. And, and then he asks her if she's single, and she says yes. And then he says, can I have your phone number? And she says no. And then her friend says, look, she's 13. But I don't think I could play it because I don't think you're allowed to play clips of, of kids. It's a whole different, different level of YouTube. I mean, who needs, who needs the aggravation? What do you want drive me to a kosher deli? No, no, I'm sorry. I blame this dribble on Rio. This, these sparkling insights, you, you, you blame that on, on Rio? Man. All right. Sarah Savannah Hernandez, big tech keeps trying to destroy my career, but I am relentless. Yeah, what about the... Lud Ludovico treatment that has not been given to me to, to carry on the work but when the time comes I shall be willing alright Savannah Hernandez now I don't know about you have you ever heard of uh, Savannah Hernandez before so one great thing about Savannah Hernandez is she has very healthy self esteem 
So this is on humanevents.com. Since I was a young girl, I've always felt I needed to make a positive impact with my life. I just never thought the politics is where that impact would be made. I also never thought that after four years of literal blood, sweat, and tears, all of my hard work and dedication to this field would simply be deleted. Well, why didn't you back things up? So I keep my notes for this show in, in a Gmail draft, and I don't know what happened. I plinked, plinked something on my keyboard and deleted the whole draft. And then I spent an hour trying to retrieve it, but there's no way to retrieve a deleted uh, Gmail draft. I, I tried to like turn off Wi-Fi to my other devices and try to retrieve it that way. Nope. All, all, the, all the notes that I've built up of uh, topics that I haven't shared with you yet, just all deleted like that. So if something's important to you, make sure you have it backed up. And if you feel too backed up, don't forget uh, Azo Cranberry Urinary Health Track Urinary Tract Health. Okay, it's common knowledge that Twitter is the new public square, and for independent journalists like myself, it's one of the most powerful tools at breaking national news. But shock and awe here, it's not a fair playing field. Well, did you know that you can back up all your tweets? You can back up all your Facebook information. You can back up everything you've used with Google. So you can back up your Google Gmail. You can back up your YouTube videos. I started my career in 2018 after almost five years of documenting the biggest events in recent history. The Black Lives Matter riots of 2010, January 6, Biden's collapsing economy. I have been permanently banned from Twitter for simply sharing my work. Welcome to journalism in 2022. Telling the truth is almost an impossible task and it's getting more dangerous by the day. Journalists like myself, have been met with violence in the streets, slander to our names, and repeated targeting by big tech and left-wing supporters. Man, that is terrible. Um, I'm gay. Yeah. <laughs> what age did you know that you were gay? Um, I think at like 10, I knew that I, I think at 10, but I wasn't like, I wasn't clear on my gender. Yeah, I I think it, it was around like 10 as well when I, st I started questioning if I was bi. And then since then it was kind of like a, a slippery slope because I kept, I was like, am I bi, omni, lesbian? And then I, I kind of like came to the point and then now recently I've been like, am I pan? But then I like, I think now I'm starting to realize that I'm queer. But yeah, it was, it started around 10. It wasn't like fully formed, but I guess like that's when I realized, wait, that's a possibility. Yeah. I am genderqueer, trans mask, and queer. What's trans mask? Trans mask is like people under the non-binary umbrella at identifying like or presenting mask. Masculine? Yeah. What about you? Um, I'm trans and uh, un my sexuality is unlabeled. Um, I use he, him pronouns. Yeah, and I use he, they pronouns. Tell us what you guys identify as. We're asking everyone here Gay today. Gay Gay. Cis. Um, what is it? Cisgender male. There we go. I don't know. Gender, gender neutral or gender fluid. I think that's what they said. I don't know. I'm confused. Do you identify as gender fluid? <laughs> I don't know. She, her... It, I feel like, honestly, honestly, it should not be a bad thing. Like, I've talked to people who go with they and them. I'm like, well, in the grammar of things, how would you want to represent yourself? I was like, I mean, I guess 
it because it's like you're you're it you're the it like it shouldn't be a bad name it should just be owned gay yes yes I love she um pronouns are he him sometimes you say I don't give a shit I guess you could call me gay I'm homo flexible really I do like some women but mostly men wow Powerful, powerful stuff. Okay, Laponius says, Ford refuses to follow me back. Well, let me have a look, bro. I I don't want you to suffer like this. Do you you want to share your, your name? I don't even know what you're going by, so. The only Laponius I know I'm following. Luke hungers for Savannah Hernandez. Baby making cannon to fire out 40 and babies to rule and to regulate. Her hair is darker and shinier than a garbage bag. This is too complicated, Laponius. LPM X 11. Oh, you have banned? <laughs> LPM X 11. Oh, are you an Asian girl? Pretty cool. Wait, is everything. Oh, that's LPM X 11. No, that's not you. I, I can't figure out who you are. It, it's up to you, bro. Y- you have to DM me. It's way too complicated. Glib Medley says my sexuality is top shelf. Mount Rushmore actor Tom Byron does interviews for $200. Excellent. Pony says I was over the target, bro. I am a journalist. I was banned from Twitter. Tucker is wider than Luke Ford's teeth. Not easy. Yeah, if Tucker wasn't doing boring stuff in Brazil, Luke wouldn't be spewing introspective drivel. Whoa. Whoa. I mean, I kind of look for common sense to Glib Medley, so I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to pray on that. Glib is the, the master chatter. Okay. Savannah Hernandez. Back in 2020, after three years of hard work, I had amassed a pretty solid Twitter following. Access to this program had allowed me to break news multiple times and landed me news and radio hits on various networks such as Fox, OANN, Newsmax, and Blaze TV. My hard work had paid off, and my dream of telling the truth was now a reality. Then it all came to an abrupt halt when Twitter decided to delete the entire career I had worked for. And at 23, I was suspended from the platform for ban evasion. Initially, I felt discouraged. I'd put my life on the line, gotten beaten up, maced, and tear gassed to give Americans the best coverage of every event that I could. However, I wouldn't let this deter me. I started a second account. Less than a year later, my work would again be censored after breaking national news. So I don't hear anything in this article about how maybe I played a role in my own misfortune. Maybe maybe I shouldn't rely on someone else's platform, particularly if I'm very likely to be going against the leftist ideology of the platform. So if I back up all my videos, I try to back up everything that, that I do. Now, Chateau Hartiste, he didn't back up his blog. And so when it was deleted from WordPress, apparently dozens and dozens of articles 
that uh, he was in the process of working on were deleted and he's never returned to blogging. So he was absolutely devastated. And her third Twitter account was recently taken down. I was called hateful, yet I simply allowed Americans to speak about the events they were participating in. I want to allow people to speak for themselves. This is why big tech seeks to censor journalists to provide documentation that refutes the narrative on a host of topics. Big tech is rewriting our reality every day. Guys, we cannot allow big tech to take control of our reality, and we cannot allow the media to sway the minds of millions. For anyone reading this who thinks that they can't make a change, I feel the exact same way every single day. You will be the one who saves America. If you see something that you don't agree with, speak out, stand up, and get vocal so that you can suffer the same horrible consequences that Savannah Hernandez did. We need to start pushing back now, and we cannot let the truth die. No matter how hard that may be, our entire country and the next generation depend on it. And then the next article is Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, rest in peace. The man who gave us the, the Zelenko protocol for dealing with COVID that uh, Dennis Prager endorsed. So you know it must be good. All right, so you're hearing this article by Savannah Hernandez and you're thinking, well, Forty, how do I overcome this rampant martyr syndrome? Like, martyr syndrome seems to play a huge role in pretty much everyone on the distant right. So do you have martyr syndrome? Well, the good news is there are things you can do to overcome it and start living a happier, more positive life. So please, press one if you are ready to start leading a happier and more positive life. We can do this together. By learning to express your feelings more, I, I've, I created a safe space online so that people could express their feelings more. Are you ready to challenge negative beliefs and expectations? Are you ready to set some healthy boundaries. Just doing these simple things, you will quickly start to notice a big difference in how you feel about yourself, your circumstances, and other people. If you are not quite sure where to start, don't worry. This article will help you guide you through the process of addressing your martyr syndrome and overcoming it. So anyone have an email address for Savannah Hernandez? I wanted to share this with her. Okay. Number one, expressing your needs. That's what I need to hear from you right now. I want to see right down in the chat what your needs are. It's time for you to start expressing them, right? Stop expecting others to read your mind. If other people were going to understand your needs without you telling them, they would have understood by now. Good communication skills involve both speaking and listening. Wow, Laponia says, my life's work of one week was deleted from Twitter, bro. Have some empathy. Man, just a stunning interview here with uh, uh, the, the, the leader of Brazil. I, I can't believe I'm not showing it to you. I can't believe I, I'm robbing you of this. I conducted my campaign anchored on a biblical passage, John 3.32. Thou shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The media never gave me any visibility or space, much to the contrary. They attacked me all the time throughout the campaign. On September the 6th, 2018, the eve of the election, I suffered an attempted assassination. The far-right candidate Jair Bolsonaro was being carried through a crowd. You can see him there on the shoulders of some supporters when suddenly a man with a knife 
stabs him in the abdomen. Doctors say my survival was a miracle, and the same is true for my election. And a very important factor, which you may perhaps not be aware of, is the fact that Brazil had a country that, upon taking office as president, the incumbent president surrenders strategic positions in the cabinet political parties, including the cabinet ministries, state banks, state companies. I did not do that. So I got a lot of pushback, strong pushback from Brazilian parliament, and we were able to withstand. In 2019, in 2020, of course, the pandemic hit and everything changed. And this country was doomed to a fiasco because many governors actually gathered forces through the economy to defeat me. We were able to successfully come to the end of 2020. Okay, thank God. Thank God. Uh, is it Jair Bolsonaro? Thank God he doesn't have modest complex, but you might have modest complex. So let's start expressing our needs, right? If you've got a need, I want you to write it down right away. And let's see if we can start meeting your needs in, in a straight way. Okay. I want to be, be clear. This is, this is, this, this is a very Torah centric show. All right. So a simple conversation can clear up a big misunderstanding. If you are trying to express yourself via pouting, sulking, or otherwise acting out, you cannot expect to be understood. Recognize that the only way another person will understand you is if you reach out to that person. What, what did, what did uh, Neil Diamond say about uh, touching hands, touching you, touching me, right? I, I mean, I think, I think that's what the, the, the doctor here is talking about. When it began, I can't begin to know, but then I know it's growing strong was in the spring, and spring became the summer. Who'd have believed that you'd come along? Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me, I mean, above the waist, touching you, sweet Caroline, bum, bum, bum. Look at the night, and it don't seem so lonely. We've filled it up with only two, and when I hurt, hurting runs off my shoulders. How can I hurt when holding you? One, touching one. Reaching out, touching me, touching you. I've been inclined to believe they never would. Oh, no. Good times never seem so good. All right. So this is a safe space to express your needs. Reach out and touch faith. Okay. For example, do you feel like you're being too asked to do too much at work? Have you told people in your office you need help? Or have you simply acted cold towards others? If you've not told anyone you need help on a project, chances are they don't know. Being cold towards your coworkers is not really communication, and chances are no one knows what the problem is on your end. So it's super-duper important, guys that you start sharing your feelings and expressing your needs. Like, how am I going to know what your needs are if you don't tell me? So please, 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 pleasing me, pleasing you, state your feelings directly. The first step to direct communication is stating your feelings. When expressing yourself, please focus on what you're feeling. 
See, right now you might be feeling a great deal of boredom. You you, you tuned in to hear Tucker Carlson. So you your your boredom may have turned to annoyance and, and like flaming anger by now. So please get in touch with whatever you're feeling and write it out in the chat. So try to abandon any mentalities you have convincing yourself that you are inherently the victim or that things are inherently stacked against you. I got to be honest, there is a reflex in me that is, I'm the victim. I've been screwed over since I was a little baby. It's absolutely no good. No matter how hard I try, I'll never succeed. That was a dominant emotion in my childhood. I'd like to think it's a little less strong these days, but it's still there. I've got the virus of victimhood inside of me. And only by reaching out, touching you spiritually, touching me, can we together overcome this, right? Or you can know for sure are your own feelings. So focus on expressing your feelings. Please start with the words, I feel, when expressing yourself. So I feel ludicrous right now. I feel like, wow, my, my viewership is down to nine live viewers and... <laughs> And when it when it hits five, I've got a hurry curry sword here. I'm just gonna go. Rrr, rrr. Okay, so briefly state your feelings and the behaviors causing them. I I can't believe that Kevin Michael Grace must have seventy live viewers right now, and I've got nine, ten. This reduces blame as you're focusing on your personal reactions over objective facts. See, there's no objective reason that uh, it's better to have 70 live viewers than 10. Like if I had 70 live viewers right now, it, it might go to my head. I might become narcissistic. Uh, they might be abusive. They, they might encourage some of my worst traits. The, the perils of the e-personality might take over. But when I have 10 live viewers, it's, it's very hard for me to be on some kind of narcissistic high. For example, do not say, you guys gave me too short notice for this project, and now... I have to work harder than everyone else in the office. Instead, say something like, I feel overwhelmed because I didn't get enough notice about the project. You see the difference there? It's important to use I feel language and focus on the present moment. So now I've got 12 live viewers, man. And, and so because a minute ago I had nine, I, I really feel like this is the start of something big. Focus on the present moment. Express how you feel now. Do not let past emotions or problems control how you act now, right? And don't be afraid to ask for help, right? Do you, do you feel like you need a little extra help right now? This is a safe space. We're, we're, all, we're all friends here. We're all here to support each other. Express your needs. Look at Laponius. He expressed his needs for me to follow him on Twitter, and we make that happen. People with martyr syndrome may hesitate to express their needs. They may hesitate to ask for help. Rather than reaching out and explaining what people can do to help, you may prefer to view your situation as hopeless and harbor resentments. I'm afraid that I have often done this. Wow. This, this kind of characterizes my life up until about age 27 dominantly in my life before 27 and then moderately in my life after 27 however this is unhealthy long term 
and can lead to strained personal and professional relationships. All right. Are you experiencing strained personal and professional relationships? You need to go to this WikiHow article on overcoming martyr syndrome. If you need something, say so. For example, if you need help, just ask. Say something like, I could really use some extra help on this project if any of you have any downtime. I, I'm finding these pictures super helpful. How about you? Oh, yeah, I, I could use some help. I could use like a caller onto this show. So how do I get a caller onto this show? I don't know. Maybe I'll play some Tucker. Price of fuels, which in turn, of course, reflects in higher inflation levels. The left wing uses that to, tries to use that to defeat me. If they do come back to power, in my view, they will never go back or go out of power again. Even former President Lula, I mean, everything he says, despite all the foolish things he says, and despite attacking so many people, such as Christians, for example, when it comes to the issues such as abortion policy, and the apparent partnership he has with many crooks and thieves, he wants many crimes to no longer be crimes. And he wants to be able to lend money to dictatorships all around the world. He wants to disarm the good-willing population. They also want to revitalize the MST, the landless people movement, and arm them. I mean, they should have no less or no more than 10% of votes, but they do. The opinion polls conducted by data following one of the last polls indicated that Lula is perceived as being more honest than I am. I mean, this kind of opinion poll, of course, is totally mistaken and doesn't work, but they do conduct these polls to attach some element of credibility There's been a lot of potential future manipulation of votes. That's a suspicion we clearly have. That's actually more than a suspicion. We have some circumstantial evidence. And if the left wing does come back to power, in my view, they will never leave power anymore. And this country will follow the same pathways as Venezuela, Argentina, Chile, Colombia. Brazil will be one more wagon in that train. And the losers will be the Brazilian population and also the left wing itself. I mean, the left-wing voter will lose as a result, and all of South America will be colored red, if you understand me. And in my view, the United States will become virtually an isolated country in the world. Okay, powerful words there from the, the president of Brazil. But let's get back to overcoming martyr syndrome from WikiHow. All right, guys, you need to avoid escape mechanisms. People with martyr syndrome may have built-in escape mechanisms to help them avoid communication. I would often do this. Like when a girl would like me and I would feel too awkward, I would kind of run away. Yeah, I, I would often run away. I remember like people would notice like women hitting on me and I would just be overcome by shyness or shame or something. And I'd just kind of ignore what was going on. Like they'd say, you're just making yourself oblivious. Like she was really into you. So if you are frustrated or upset by a situation, think about the ways you handle that other than communicating directly. Learn to recognize and avoid these mechanisms to begin with. So some people may behave in a negative fashion to entice others to guess what's wrong. So instead of expressing yourself directly, do you sulk or act cold towards someone who has upset you? Yeah, 
I used to give people the, the silent treatment. Or just be kind of sulky. Or whiny. Or bitchy. You may also complain about the issue in ineffective ways. For example, you may whine or complain continually, refusing to listen to advice or suggestions. You may also complain to other people around the person who's frustrating or upsetting you while withholding information from them. So am I wrong, or does pretty much everybody on the distant right suffer from martyr syndrome? Like, tell me, this is a free, open place for you to express your needs. If I'm wrong, just tell me, 40, you are wrong. I think martyr syndrome is dominant in the distant right. I think this is a really useful prism for, you know, understanding how the distant right works and how much of the world works. You may find excuses for not communicating. You will convince yourself you are too tired or too busy to talk things out directly, or I would just get too emotionally flooded, or I think about reasons why this person isn't, you know, worthy of me putting some effort in. Writing in a journal is a great way to confront your daily life and to process your emotions in a healthy way. So please feel free to use the chat, right, to process your emotions in, in a healthy way. I don't feel like you guys are really engaging with this high-quality content. Right? I'm just getting through the, the chat here, and I, I'm just not seeing a lot of you know, open expression of feelings. And, and I want to know what's, what's going on. You know, why, why are you afraid to be emotionally naked right now? There is no need to be afraid. This is a safe space. Damn, my mic was, my mic was running way too hot there. I'm sorry if I was, I'm sorry if my mic was just way too intense for you. But uh, now I don't think I'm hot enough. So confusing. Please, please tell me the right amount of hotness for my mic. Okay. Examine your feelings. Understanding the causes and issues behind your martyrdom can help you make positive changes in your life. Try to get in touch with your own emotional state. Question why you might act like a martyr. Now, you're saying 40... I'm ready to do the work about my martyr's complex. I'm ready to do the hard work of swallowing my Prozac pill every day. That's just masking the problem, all right? It may be a good thing to do. It may have more benefits than, than costs, but there's no, there's no valid excuse. If you've got a problem like martyr's complex, you need to do the work, and I'm here right now reaching out, holding you, holding me. I'm ready to do this work with you. Right? If you can identify the cause, you can identify the solution, and we can all graduate from martyr's complex, and we can become happier, healthier, more effective, more successful people. We can become better, clearer, cleaner vessels for God. Right? Do you have low self-esteem? Do you ever find yourself thinking that you are worthless? Do you feel that you are unable to control your own life? When you feel upset, can you identify what is causing it? Or are you unsure? Do you often hold grudges? This article is great, isn't it? I mean, this is high-quality stuff. Is there something from the past that you can't let go of? Do you often see situations as hopeless? Why is this? 
does it help you avoid uncomfortable situations? Does it help you justify your current state of life? Right? Please recognize that you have choices. Martyr syndrome is often marked by a feeling of helplessness. You may feel you are inherently the victim in life, and that will not change. While there is a lot one cannot change about any given situation, learn to recognize where you can make choices, right? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Right? When you recognize where you can change things, this will help you feel more in control of your life. Kenneth Brown argues that Judaism is not a race. Well, Ashkenazi Jews do have uh, particular genetic traits, so I think it's fair to say that uh, Ashkenazi Jews have many of the characteristics of, of race. I only feel only uh, low self-esteem with women. That's it. Bro, that is self-deceiving. If you've got a sector of your life where you're suffering from low self-esteem, the answer is not to avoid women or to, to avoid that area of life. If you've got a problem with low self-esteem around women, guess what? You have that problem all throughout your life. It's like bone cancer, right? My mother, she got breast cancer and they, they cut off her breasts, but the, the breast cancer turned to bone cancer and she shriveled away to 60 pounds and she died. So, bro, you've got bone cancer, right? And you think if I just stay away from women, Ah, oh, my bone cancer, it won't be so bad. But if you've got low self-esteem around women, you've got low self-esteem all through your life, and it's time to get to work on this, right? If you are, you know, irresponsible at work, you've got a problem with irresponsibility all through your life. If you lack conscientiousness at work, you've got a problem with a lack of conscientiousness all through your life. If you say inappropriate things at work, you have a problem with being inappropriate and socially awkward all through your life. If you've got a problem in one area of your life, I guarantee you that problem is all throughout your life. It's just brought you know, straight in your face in certain areas in life so that you can't avoid it anymore. So I get uh, occasional attacks of anxiety and shame and I, I tend to make bad decisions I, I, I drive badly um, all my choices just kind of compress down I become much more reactive I, I lash out or I, I whimper and, and hide and kind of make like a turtle all right the, these flooding examples of anxiety and shame right they're not just really in, in those occasional times when, when I when it's like, oh, wow, I'm having an anxiety attack or, oh, wow, I'm getting flooded with shame. No, anxiety and shame are chronically with me. It's just that there are only certain situations where I can't ignore them anymore, right? So if you have occasionally have problems with anxiety, I guarantee you, you've got, like me, disproportionate levels of anxiety flowing throughout your life. It's just that certain situations, you can't ignore it anymore. Who is Kenneth Brown? He's a deep left jerkle. I'm just not smooth with women because they are unreasonable and not logical. Bro, they just... Uh, look, this is an example of writing unenforceable tickets on other people. It's like, oh, women, they're not reasonable. They're not logical. 
right? Everyone works out of a different rule book and we have to extend our empathy to understand like how does Vladimir Putin see the world? Like how do women see the world? How do Jews see the world? How do blacks see the world? How do Muslims see the world? Like we can understand it. Like from, from an outside perspective, Godward podcast trajectory is like hilarious or, or bizarre depending on your orientation. But if you put in just a little bit of empathy, you can kind of understand, oh, so this is how Godward Podcast ended up as, as Godward Podcast. But it takes a little bit of effort. You can't just like laugh at him or you can't just dismiss him. All right. You need to throw in some empathy for the fairer sex. Women just want some thick flirting emotions and I just can't reach those levels. Bro, there's a whole world of interactions with women that, that's open and possible for you. And I tell you what, if you reach out to me, I'll reach out to you. And together, we're going we're gonna to make some major progress here. Right? Women don't just want thick, flirty emotions. Oh, boy. Eric Stryker's take on overturning Roe v. Wade. I can't wait to hear that. Wow, I, I'm queuing that up right now. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Bones Mode, for these excellent suggestions. Everyone finds their job stressful. Having to do things you dislike at work is part of life, and you cannot fully control stressful situations from occurring. However, you can control your reactions and your coping mechanisms. The next time you encounter stress at work, pause and remember you have choices. Think to yourself, I can't completely get rid of these stresses, but I can control how I react. I can make a choice to stay calm and deal with this effectively. So right now, I've got 12 live viewers. Right? So this could cause me stress or, or shame. Uh, I could run into people at synagogue and they say, oh, you know, why do you make these videos? Nobody even watches them. Like, why are you wasting your time? You know, why aren't you studying Torah or earning more money or, you know, going to a sports bar and meeting chicks? When faced with a difficult situation, sit down and make a list of everything that you can do to make a difference. This will help you feel as though you have more control in your life. Right? And stop expecting to be rewarded for your suffering. Wow, we're really getting into it here. Some people volunteer to endure pain and neglect with the hope of being rewarded. Yeah, I know someone like that. People feel that being a martyr will lead to things like recognition, love, sex, other rewards. Think about how you expect to be rewarded for your martyrdom and please share it in the chat and share in the chat like who are the prominent members of the distant right who do not have martyrs complex. Think about how often you talk to other people about your martyrdom. Do you think that you use this behavior to get attention from others? Many people are relationship martyrs. You may find yourself putting a lot more into a relationship than you are receiving. Often people feel giving feel like giving and giving to difficult people will eventually result in those people changing and becoming more loving and caring. But ask yourself whether this has ever really happened. In most cases, giving more than you receive in a relationship does not result in the other person changing. It just builds resentments and frustrations on your end. So what are some best practices if you've got martyrs complex? I didn't realize that WikiHow is such an awesome website. This is just great advice. I, I, I'm feeling so much cleaner, clearer, 
I, I'm getting healed. Can you feel the power? I feel the power. Like when someone calls me by my name, I recognize it. So when I was younger, people would call me Dick Sniff and it's like, oh yeah. But now like when I hear like mother hunger, it's like, oh yeah, I got mother hunger and I've got, you know, father hunger and I've got, you know, martyr syndrome and I've got, I got maladaptive daydreaming. I mean, that's worse than cancer. Identify your unspoken expectations. People with martyr syndrome often expect a lot from others. You have ideas of how people should behave that are not always reasonable or realistic. If you find yourself frequently feeling victimized by others, pause and check your expectations. Check your white privilege. Think about demands you place on others. Ask yourself what you expect from people around you and whether these demands are reasonable. For example, in a romantic relationship, you may expect your partner to match you in certain ways. Say, you prefer working out with your partner, but your partner prefers to work out alone. You may find yourself assuming you're the victim. You may feel your partner should want to spend time with you, so they're automatically in the wrong. Ask yourself whether this is reasonable. If you're unsure, you can ask a trusted family member or friend or Professor Forty for their perspective. Next step, examine your beliefs. Martyrdom is closely associated with certain religious and philosophical beliefs. If you have martyr syndrome, it may be related to your underlying Weltanschauung, your worldview. Think about whether you choose to suffer for your beliefs. Consider whether you're trying to live up to an impossible standard or if you are demanding perfection from yourself. If you feel guilt, spend some time examining how you view the world. Your worldview could contribute to your martyr syndrome. Now, I don't think many people have the following problem, but uh, cutting back on your workload. Lower your standards. Many people with martyr syndrome feel overwhelmed or victimized because they both take on too much and expect a lot from those around them. Ask yourself what you expect from others and examine whether this is realistic. What you expect of yourself is often the same as what you expect from others. Adjust your expectations to a more reasonable level. This will improve both your relationship with yourself and others. Except not everything will turn out the way you wanted. Hey Luke, do you know Kenneth Brown? Have you ever spoken to him? No, I don't know Kenneth Brown. He was not interested in talking to me. Don't think he wants to talk to anyone outside of his hug box. You guys aren't really engaging with this material as I expected. Except not everything will turn out the way you wanted. If you expected yourself to complete a certain amount of work within the day, do not beat yourself up if you miss the mark. Instead, instead, appreciate what you did get done. For example, say your spouse brings home the wrong brand of toothpaste from the store. Instead of getting angry, be appreciative that you have toothpaste at all, and this is one less thing for you to do. So imagine that you tuned into this show to get some dissident right politics and this isn't what you're getting, so you feel really miffed. But instead, you're getting deeper insights into the dissident right by learning about martyr syndrome and how to overcome it. So really, this is pretty awesome. And you're doing something special here. You are spending quality time with other people. Focus on spending quality time with others. Rather than running yourself ragged all the time, spend time with others. This will help you learn to appreciate people in and of themselves, regardless of whether they meet your expectations. Strive for small, relaxing interactions like this one. 
such as chatting over lunch or a live stream, as well as taking a day off to unwind with family and friends. Keep in mind that not everyone is good company. If certain family members or classmates make you feel bad about yourself, don't spend time with them. Yes, good people make you feel good, bad people make you feel bad. Focus on spending time with people who make you feel happy and relaxed. Avoid people who drain too much of your energy as interactions with them may leave you tired. Next point, don't be afraid to seek help from others. People with martyr complex may convince themselves they cannot ask for help. Chat says, I'm probably expecting my same wisdom from others, but tough to accept not having it recirculated. Thoughts on UCLA joining the Big Ten? Sounds exciting. Kenneth Brown argues that Elon Musk is Napoleonic or a Julius Caesar type figure who wants to use populism to dislodge the ruling aristocracy. If you feel the inclination to ask someone for help, you may find yourself making excuses as to stop yourself from reaching out. For example, you may convince yourself that person is too busy or that you don't want to burden them. Remember, Everyone needs help sometimes, and there's no shame in reaching out. So when I am dealing with anxiety or fear or pain, uh, 99% of the time I turn within to deal with it. So I would be much better off if I reached out to others. So some people reach out to others when they're upset, and they do better with like a 50-50 mix, reaching out to others or you know, working on it internally. Learn to set effective boundaries. Every time you say yes when you mean no, you are sabotaging yourself. You can learn to politely and respectfully decline to do what people ask you to do. Before you agree to someone's request, ask yourself some questions. Ask yourself if you truly have time. Commitment should make you feel good about yourself and not bitter and overwhelmed. So I do this show pretty much every day, every weekday at 5 p.m. And I'm happy to do it. And if there's a day where I don't want to do it, I simply won't do it. And if there's a week where I don't want to do it, I won't do it. And if there are weeks that go by where I don't feel like doing it, I won't do it. Think about the commitments that really make you happy and prioritize them over things that drain you. Say yes to things that will make you feel personally fulfilled and pass on other commitments. Next, do something for yourself every day. Something healthy, all right? Even if it's something small, do something for yourself every day that makes you feel less of a martyr. Find ways to give yourself a small treat. For example, take half an hour before bed every night to unwind with a book. Make it a ritual or habit such as spending an extra five minutes in the shower. Not in California, though. we got a drought. Relaxing or meditating in the morning. Consider treating yourself to something bigger every week or so, such as a manicure or a pedicure or a bubble bath. Oh, man. Aren't you so much happier now? that I shared this about the martyr syndrome. So the martyr syndrome is a syndrome, psychological syndrome where people for whatever reason feel that they have to become the self-sacrificing heroes in their life. You know, businesses are did them wrong, people did them wrong, they they have a sick relative but not the other relatives are as self-sacrificing as they are, so they have to take, have to take off work to take care of their relative. Um, they gave up on their dreams out of sacrifice for their husband or wife or children. That's what I want to talk about today. So I'm going to start by telling you a story. Where I work, and just so you know, I've changed situations around here um, with this story. There was a man who 
to me seemed like a hard worker initially. Um, he told working. me stories about how uh, his daughter was struggling in school, and how she was really smart, and how she was being picked on, and just nobody understood, not um, her classmates, not uh, the teachers, not the faculty, not the people, not the ad administrative department of the school. Nobody understood what this child was going through. And she would have to take off, or he'd have to take off work early and go and get, a, get his daughter. Um, so that's how it started with this child. Then it started to come that he had a sick brother and the hospital didn't want to take care of him and his sister did not take care of him and his parents did not take care of him. So he had to take off work to take care of the sick brother. Then his wife lost her job and the corporation was out to get her and blah, 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 blah. So it eventually got to the point where he missed so much work, not because of illness, but because of this martyr syndrome complex that he had, that he was actually fired. He was let go. And I know from first-hand experience, his boss gave him every chance in the world. And then on top of that, he got an even better job, a good job. Keep in mind, his wife didn't have a job either. And he quit that job to take care of his sick brother. I may sound cruel, and I apologize for that, but there's a line you cross when you have a sick relative. And it wasn't so much, and the way he would tell these stories, it wasn't so much how, oh, poor sick brother, my brother's going through blah, blah. It was all from his point of view and all how it affected him and how he couldn't do the things he wanted to do and how he was the one who was suffering, how he was the one who was sacrificing it all. And the brother was just an example. The brother was one of many issues that popped up during that time. But I want to tell you how to deal with people with the martyr syndrome because um, I'm a little impatient in that regard. I fully admit sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't like excuses. Not my best area. Um, and I did some research for this post. What they say you're supposed to do, you're supposed to listen to them as they talk, and you're supposed to acknowledge that you've heard them speak, but yet at the same time not give them anything to reward their self-pity. Yeah, don't reward people with martyr syndrome with super chats. Don't reward them by subscribing. Don't reward them by sharing. Don't reward them by giving a thumbs up. All right? So don't say, oh, poor you, or don't say, I don't know how you do it. Um, because that just, I call this a monster. It just keeps feeding the monster and the monster gets more and more demanding. Um, another thing you can do is be blunt, call them out. Don't call them out personally, if that makes sense. Call out their behavior. Yeah, you know, your behavior is something else. I don't know how exactly you would word it. But, and this, the research I did said that, you know, the person may try to deflect it back on you, may point out your faults trying to get away from their own, may deny, deny, deny. Um, but it's, I think it's always good, no matter what is going on, that we make, that we are aware that other people are onto us. You know, because we all think we're so clever and nobody's going to figure it out. Right, so don't reward people acting out with martyr syndrome. So the first result in Google for martyr complex is a terrific article on WebMD. So martyr complex, it's a recognized psychological pattern. It is marked by self-sacrifice and service to others at your own expense. So identifying martyr traits and tendencies prevents burnout and stress on your relationships. So the martyr complex is closely related to victim complex or the victim mentality. They share similar motives, conditions, and behaviors. These are all marks, generally speaking, of losers. Right? The, at its core, the victim complex means someone views themselves as a victim of their life events. They often express that bad things always happen to them. 
They're always getting fired. They're always getting evicted. They're always getting ejected. They're always getting deplatformed. They claim they have no control over their life. They don't take responsibility for the things they do. So victim mentality provides people with a sense of safety and validation. I'm just such a truth teller. That's why I'm always being deplatformed, man. As the victim, they don't have to take the blame for their actions. They get attention from the people around them, and they are validated by support from others. So don't validate victims and martyrs. Don't give them attention. By putting the responsibilities on others, they sacrifice their own control and their own ability to act. They rely on others for their self-worth. So I enjoy having a large viewership, but... I don't depend on my viewership for my self-worth. It's a added bonus. It gives me more energy. It's more exciting. There are more opportunities when you have more viewers. But I used to regularly stream, you know, always over 100 live viewers. And now that's, that's fairly rare. But I am not, you know, dramatically less happy. Because just like I can validate when I do a good piece of writing, when I open it up, look at it in, in a browser, when I read it, when I get a chuckle, when I enjoy something I've written, I, I know it's good. And if other people come along and say it's good, then that's wonderful, but I don't need that to happen. So we can become increasingly internally validated. doesn't mean you, you pay no attention to what other people have to say, but it shouldn't be the primary determinant of your sense of worth. So with both martyr complex and victim complex, people rely on others. So those who turn themselves into martyrs victimize themselves for the alleged benefit of others. They constantly sacrifice resources against their own self-interest. So a martyr loves to take on the role of the hero. So, so and a therapist who, no therapist has ever used martyr complex with me, but she, she pointed out that I don't want to see you end up as the old guy on the bar stool telling people what, what he could have been. And another friend said, oh, you know, you think you're this big heroic truth teller, but if you're really reviewing, revealing such dangerous truths, you know, you'd be dead by now. So my friend just saw my heroic truth telling as self-destruction. People who use martyr behavior tend to have good motives for doing so. Sometimes they're forced into the role of martyr because of their environment, and many people in service-based professions develop a martyr complex. So martyr complex behavior differs depending on the cause. So here are some signs of martyr complex. You dismiss your actions. You minimize your accomplishment. You say it's not important when you make sacrifices. You just do it for the good of making the sacrifice, not for the praise of being recognized. Being the hero. So this is hero syndrome. It's a sign of martyr complex. You often play the hero. Do everything yourself. You solve everyone else's problems without complaint. Lacking self-care. This is a huge giveaway. You can't pour from an empty jug. If you're in a situation where you're constantly giving and letting your personal health slip away, you are likely exhibiting the patterns of a martyr complex. Seeking chances to sacrifice. Right? A martyr looks for opportunities to step into harm's way. So just like an angry person looks for opportunities to get angry, the self-destructive person looks for opportunities to destruct. Having unrealistic values, a martyr may view their actions as an expression of how much they care. You may feel that if you're not working hard for people every day, it means you don't love them enough. So martyr complex often gets deeply embedded into your life. It makes it hard to address. So here are ways that you can shift your thinking, find a support group, Invest in yourself, set aside time and resources for things you enjoy, devote time for your physical health, journal, express gratitude for yourself and others, spend time with family and friends, 
in places where you don't need to help and where you can enjoy each other's company. So learn how to put your health and your well-being first. So don't be a martyr. Personal understanding of this that maybe isn't um, standard, or at least isn't standard anymore. Maybe maybe it used to be. So I've got my mage my mage hat on today, channeling the muses or whatever. And so I thought I would start with actually the Gospel of John, not do them necessarily in the order they appear in the Bible, because I think John is the place to start for the uninitiated. I think it's a special special letter sort of to the the heathens, the Gentiles. So let's do it. I'm just going to read through this. John 1, by the way, is pretty long, so this one might take a bit, but I'll try to get through it in less than half an hour. And I'm just going to do, I think I'll do all 21 or 24 chapters or whatever it is in John. All right, the word became flesh at the beginning. By the way, I'm going to use the ESV version, I think, because I'm probably most familiar with that one now. So what the heck is going on with Godwood here? Like, why is he using this weird filter? And so this, the following commentary is not about the real person behind Godwood Podcast because I haven't had any personal interaction with him for, for years. I've never met him in person. So I'm just responding to the things that he makes public. I'm talking about the persona as exemplified by this or that aspect of the Godwood Podcast persona, quite different from Godwood Podcast, the real human being, right? So... I think that's a significant difference. Now, I'm looking at at his, his comments uh, here on his video, and he says, the Gospel of John is the one that clicked with me. So why does this particular gospel you know, really click with him? And he says, uh, I'm thinking much more about what the Gospels mean to Gentiles. So a distinction like that might signify something to Jews that it doesn't to Gentiles, saying, I, I don't really care. Well, Christians really do care about Jews. Jesus was Jewish. He spent his whole life among Jews, and Christians want Jews very much to validate th their understandings about Jesus. So Godwood says, uh, Judea back then, in meaning 2,000 years ago, was probably almost as Hellenized as Tel Aviv is now. Uh, really? I I'm sure some parts of it were, but I'm not sure this is based on much historical scholarship. He says, as evidenced by Josephus's description and other accounts of Herod's debauchery and the zealots' disgust at widespread immorality. So those are some historical sources, but they're not the only historical sources. So it seems like he's cherry-picking history to suit a particular agenda. So it's not altogether clear that Rome would have had a particularly high view of Hebraic morality, even given Caligula's depravity. No, uh, strongly identifying in-groups don't tend to have high regard for out-groups' morality, so there's nothing particularly distinctive about that. The world was fallen just as ours is. All right, so I don't spend much time on, on faith, so statements of faith. You know, the world is fallen, our world is fallen. All right. It's meaningless to me. So why should those Jews' interpretation of their Torah have mattered much? Well, because Christianity came out of Judaism, and Christianity has long had a particular desire for Jews to validate them, and Jews by and large have not, and this has caused you know great anger and frustration and uh, violence and genocide at times on the part of Christians. 
maybe we, the Hellenized, the modern, the new, can improve on all that mess by actually following God. Okay, so when people say they want to follow God, uh, I'm curious what that actually means practically. So the the Christianity that God would podcast espouses is not recognizable. All right, it's his own idiosyncratic version. So he talks about being a Christian and following God, but he doesn't do it in any recognizable fashion. Right? I, I don't think any of the clergy in his denomination or any related Protestant denomination would recognize this as, oh yeah, this is, this is fair dinkum Christianity. So he wants the benefits of espousing a muscular Christianity without having to pay any of the prices that come with when you actually join a holy community. So I am part of a holy community. I live in Los Angeles Orthodox Judaism. That makes many, many different demands on me. Right, I have to give up significant limitations to my freedom. There are jokes I can't say. There are things I can't say. There are things I can't do. There are places I, I can't go. Right, My life is heavily circumcised and circumscribed because I have concrete commitments to uh, Orthodox Judaism and to Orthodox Jewish events and synagogues and groups that I participate in in Los Angeles. I don't get the sense from the Godward podcast persona. Remember, I'm only talking about a an online persona. I know absolutely nothing about what's going on with Godward, the human being behind the persona. But just from the persona that he puts forward publicly, I get no sense that he's actually a part of any concrete Christian community, that he's living in a holy community where he has leaders and where he's being held accountable for things he says and does, and that there's a price to be paid for living in community and that he's paying the price, he's paying the sacrifices because he actually believes in what he's talking about rather than, you know, a Nick Fuentes style, you know, I'm all about Jesus, man. But when you look at Nick Fuentes, you see, you know, absolutely no signs that this is someone who is sacrificing for his faith. Like, if you are serious about your faith, if you're serious about your religion, what are you giving up for it? So you won't find me live streaming on the Sabbath. You won't find me live streaming on Jewish holidays, right? You won't find me eating, you know, uh, well, it's not, it's not attractive to me, but there are all sorts of, you know, non-kosher foods that, that I'm not going to eat. That's, but honestly, that's, that's no sacrifice. So maybe we should actually follow God rather than merely thinking of ourselves as chosen because our book says we are. So this kind of a strikes me as bizarre distinction, right? Following God is based on a huge amount of a non-rational leap of faith. And believing that you are specially chosen by God is simply based on, in part, a non-rational leap of faith. I, I, I don't get terribly exercised whose non-rational leap of faith, you know, is more rational than the other. These are all just leaps of faith. Now, there's this widespread misconception that Jews believe that they're God's chosen people because there's a book telling them that. No. Every individual believes he's the center of the universe, and every people believes that it is uh, specially chosen, you know, by the universe. It is playing some kind of special divine role. And the, the people who became the Jews... Uh, certain members of that group were particularly gifted storytellers. And so, of course, they would tell a story about how they are at the center of the universe, just like other gifted storytellers in other groups tell similar stories. Everybody thinks they're the center of the earth. The word China means center of the earth. Japan has the rising sun on its flag because it 
historically is believed that the sun rises first on Japan and then goes to the rest of the world. And Dennis Prager made a good point that given that every people believes especially chosen, why does the Jewish belief in chosenness attract so much enmity? And his point is, well, the, many non-Jews also believe that the Jews are specially chosen and they resent it and they hate it. So Jews, like non-Jews, believe that they have a special role to play in the universe and Jewish storytellers have developed uh, on that theme. Or if you have a religious perspective, you believe that you know God gave the Torah and is because of the ongoing relationship between the people who became the Jews and God, that there became this conviction that uh, Jews had something special going on with God. So that's my experiential understanding. It's not, chosenness is not something that Jews just read in a book and go, oh yeah. Authority is up for grabs, not a given. Yes. So radical interpretations make sense here. Well, some radical interpretations can make more sense than others. Now, this is this is a disturbing part of uh, Godwood's public persona over the past few years. Rome could have gone full fascist and eliminated them, but an even better strategy might be to amend their narrative so as to bring about a non-violent final solution. So Godwood's public persona has become obsessed over the past few years with a final solution to the Jewish problem. And so he would say, look, I, I don't want any you know, physical harm happening to Jews. I just want them to convert to Christianity and cease being Jewish. So I don't want a physical genocide of Jews. I want a spiritual genocide of Jews. Accepting that as plausible, right, we can then discuss whether that was good or bad, ethical or unethical. Yeah, why can't we just have a, a reasoned discussion about uh, genocide? Like, why, why do people get so up in arms uh, about, you know, the, these reasonable discussions of genocide? But it's a discussion, not a foregone conclusion, right? It's a discussion, guys. It's just a, a discussion about genocide. Why can't we have a discussion about genocide? So in the beginning was the word logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. All right, so... So from my, from my Jewish friends, who most Jews have zero interest in the New Testament, all right? Uh, most Jews have zero interest in the Book of Mormon. Most Jews have zero interest in, in any scripture, including their own scripture. But for those few Jews who've actually read the New Testament, they tend to be horrified. <laughs> it's like, wow, this really is a hateful book. And on the other hand, I don't think that the New Testament is any more inherently hateful than uh, you know, any, any other scripture. It all depends on the context where the strands that are, that are hateful can become activated. But uh, a lot of my Jewish friends like strongly, strongly disagree with that. It's like, oh man, the, the New Testament, yeah, a friend says, New Testament is a hate book. I didn't realize it till I began reading it line by line. It's appalling. I'm not even saying that in my usual flip provocative way. I literally believe it to be a hate book. I don't believe it. it is a hate book. But I think like pretty much any scripture or any piece of writing 
that is particularly passionate and intense, uh, it can detonate in some people under some circumstances in, in a hateful way. If it was written today, it would be considered hate literature. And I reject the Old Testament as hate too. This is a facile comparison. Look, that question surprises even jaded me. My question was, is the New Testament any more hateful than the Old Testament? So I, I challenge you, make the case why the New Testament is more hateful than the Old Testament, because I don't see that. New Testament is a polemic against Jews and Judaism, that's it. No, I think that is an element of the New Testament. While stealing Judaic modus operandi and conceits, well, it sees itself as fulfilling Judaism, just like every new religion doesn't say I'm a new religion. They all, all new religions see themselves as fulfilling previous religions. Uh, my Jewish friend says uh, the New Testament is repulsive from top to bottom. And I certainly don't see, see that or think that way about New Testament or Christians. Christians are drawn to Old Testament stories, but no Jews, with very few exceptions, are interested in New Testament stories. Your relativist thinking doesn't hold. It's like in China, they play Mozart, but in Vienna, they don't play Zhao Bang Fat. Cultural truth flows in one direction. No secular Jews are remotely interested in the story of the Gospels. It's not even a particularly great story. It's just a guy, hateful and angry, always hungry, nasty, going around healing a few people, telling them not to tell anyone, then yelling that people don't know who he is because of the time in which it is being framed and it's being much more recent history. The Old Testament is a national Genesis story written by one people for one people in an ancient warlike context. The New Testament is written by scorned Jews, hating those who won't go along with their cult, then seeks to equate them with Satan. And by definition, now these Jews are in opposition to the entirety of mankind. They're not even human. They have scales over their eyes. They're hateful to all men. It's not even about conquering and killing. It's that these Jews are a demonic race, not only deny Christ, but openly acknowledge he is God and still want to kill him. Only Satan does that. And so my friend says, ah, it's no accident that uh, Godward loves John. He doesn't start with Mark, the first chronological gospel, or Matthew, the first canonized gospel. So John really speaks to him. So one theory I have is that intellectuals love Gnosticism, right? The, the idea that there is secret knowledge that's uh, not available to the masses. And so Judaism is like the anti-Gnostic religion. Like Judaism says, you know, here's the Torah. It's right here. You can read it. You can understand it. You can practice it. Though there are elements of Gnosticism within Judaism, overall, the religion is kind of anti-Gnostic. Well, I mean, what an opening. Uh, it's different than all the rest of the Gospels, which are sort of narrative openings or, you know, with the uh, genealogy. Here we have more of like a philo philosophical, theological sort of claim, right? The word, this logo. So I, I think there is tremendous significance to this blue filter, not the fact that there's a blue filter. And it's not just that uh, Godwood is, you know, finding his way on YouTube. He's experimenting with, with different things. He's artistically inclined. No, I think this is a symptom of his search for identity because Christianity as he presents it is just not recognizable to me in any you know mainstream brand in America. Now, he may be right. He may have the, the true stuff and everyone else is false, but I get the feeling from Godward podcast public persona, don't know the man personally, had no communication with him for years, but from his public persona, as reflected in this weird blue filter, this is someone struggling towards identity. 
just someone always trying things to kind of fill the void inside to try to build up a sense of self that is you know much more resilient so there are all sorts of little things that can come along and from an outside perspective they seem minor and trivial but we all contain the, the virus of depression within us. And so the best antidote to depression is the construction of an identity. And so that's what I see is going on here. It's the, the construction of an identity, so a way to make oneself uh, much more resilient. Now, there are techniques for success. There are techniques for success on YouTube. There are techniques for success in earning money. But they require that you put things ahead of your own comfort, your own ego, and you know what you want to do. So I do the shows that I want to do. I don't think about you, the viewer. right? I don't think about what you want. People would prefer that I only talk about distant right politics. right? And that would be the path to live streaming success. Give people what they want. It's a field I know something about. There, there's a reasonable audience for people who are interested in my perspective on distant right politics. And that audience is about 500 times larger than the audience for that actually watches me. So if I was to give focused content that people are interested in, then I'd have to subordinate my own preferences to improve my viewing numbers and, and my income. So let me play a little bit more here from Godwin. Ghost thing, which is presented as like a, uh, like an idea. And of course it, it, is, it does have precedent in the Greek um, tradition. You know, Heraclitus uses this term in very similar ways. So if you look up Logos and Heraclitus, you'll find some of his sayings that are most interesting related to this. Philo of Alexandria, the Greek or Hellenized Jew, um, wrote about Logos. Logos was understood, it seems, to be a kind of um, theological concept, I guess, where the idea, and it's, I shouldn't even say theological, more like metaphysical, where the idea is that it... Okay, so I haven't watched every, every video, but my sense is that Godwood is not nearly as good on his own, just as I'm not nearly as good without Godwood. Like, I think Godwood and Dennis Dale and myself and, and Kyle and, you know, Rustin, and we were all better when we were working together and bouncing off each other and being caught out and arguing and discussing and provoking and stimulating each other. So uh, I don't feel like uh, Godwood's hit his stride. I don't feel like I have, you know, recaptured the, the fun that we had in early 2018 when this used to be much more of a communal discussion so we're all we're all struggling here godwood 40 kevin michael grace i don't think uh, we are as compelling separately as we were together and so this this these videos that he's doing don't work for me just like uh, i'm sure my, my videos don't don't work for him but you know i'm striving for something godwood is striving for something where we're both trying to, to build something. We've had intimations of, of live streaming that works, and we want to get back to that place. So there is the Jewish annotated New Testament. So you get some Jewish scholars commenting on the New Testament. So here we go, the introduction to the Gospel of John. So it's the fourth gospel due to its placement in the New Testament and filled, of, filled with paradoxes and contradictions. 
both in the content and the reaction it evokes in readers. So it's the most explicitly anti-Jewish of any of the New Testament books. So it tells the story of the Son of God who becomes flesh and dwells in the world. So it's really a work of, of Hellenic Gnostic mystery court religion. So there's the Son of God who becomes flesh, he dwells in the world, he dies an ignominious death that nevertheless marks his exaltation, ascension to God, and by participating in eating his flesh and drinking his blood, you too can have salvation, right? You get the divine triumph over the forces of evil. So on the one hand, there's this beautiful vision of a future salvation that is also a present reality. So many people love this gospel because of its sublime language, the beautiful imagery, its ability to lift its readers out of the historical moments of Jesus's life to the lofty heights of the cosmos. Now, others hate it, and admittedly, my reaction is I hate the Gospel of John because of its insistence on the exclusive truth of its message and the absence of space for any other way of viewing the world. Now, what's paradoxical about the Gospel of John is that it really wants to claim a relationship to Judaism. It makes abundant use of the Hebrew Bible through all sorts of direct quotations and allusions it also wants to appropriate its characters, its motifs, and then stories that are reinterpreted so that the main characters of the Hebrew Bible really are proto-Christians. So the Hebrew Bible is reinterpreted through the lens of faith in Jesus as the Christ and the Son of God. And there are some parallels to other first and second century Jewish sources. Now, when, when John quotes from the Hebrew Bible, it seems pretty clear that the author, the authors of the Gospel of John didn't actually know Hebrew. They're overwhelmingly relying upon a Greek translation. So like, like the Apostle Paul, they seem to be very much claiming a Jewish connection that is above and beyond what they really have. So Paul you know, claimed, claimed to be the greatest of the Pharisees, but he didn't even know Hebrew ago. He was never a Pharisee, and uh, his his, his lack of knowledge of Hebrew meant that, you know, he didn't have any standing in Jewish life, but he went on to found another religion where he had tremendous standing. Now, for many Christians and non-Christians, the Gospel of John is highly disturbing because it's very negative representations of the Jews. So the Jews are shown to be the arch enemies of Jesus and of followers. The, the Jews are shown to be blind to the truth. They're shown to be relentless in pursuing Jesus to the point of masterminding his demise. And their behavior demonstrates that they have relinquished their relationship with God and that they are instead children of the devil. So John's gospel has been called the most Jewish and the most anti-Jewish of the gospels. So it's generally considered to be the latest of the four canonical gospels written. So probably talking about years 130, 150, so the first books in the New Testament were first, meaning when were they written, were written by Paul. And then the Gospels were reconstructed based upon the teachings of Paul. So I wonder what's going on on Hannity. Let's uh, 
get a little Hannity here. Themselves. There's nothing too compassionate about illegal immigration, nothing compassionate about aiding and abetting law-breaking, nothing compassionate about turning the country into the United Sanctuary States of America under Joe Biden. Earlier today, the Supreme Court did rule 5-4 in favor of Biden, allowing the administration to end the highly successful Trump-era Remain in Mexico policy, which requires that those seeking asylum stay in Mexico while their claims are being heard. Voters, they are taking notice of Biden's America last immigration agenda. 67% of Americans give Biden a failing grade on the crisis. And according to new findings from Rasmussen, uh, guess what? Only 59% think Joe is mentally and physically, or 59% don't think he's physically and mentally up to the job. Here with Reaction, American First legal founder Stephen Miller, along with Arizona Attorney General, Republican Senate candidate Mark Bernovich is with us. Let me go to the legal side, Mr. Attorney General, the court's majority pointed to language in the law that says the government may return migrants to a continue, uh, 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 a nearby territory, noting the discretionary nature of the wording. Um, I took that to mean that they kind of said you can do it, but I, I didn't. I didn't quite understand the, the rationale behind that. Could, do you understand it? Well, Sean, thank you for having me on. And I think we all recognize that what the Biden administration is doing is systematically not only dismantling ICE, but eradicating the southern border. And our lawsuits that we were part of, whether it's Title 42, whether it's Remain in Mexico, whether it's trying to force Joe Biden to finish the wall, those are all designed to do everything we can to prevent the flood of illegal immigration and the flood of drugs from coming into our country. And one of the things that worries me is we have a lawsuit right now over asylum rules. Joe Biden wants ICE, DHS, to be able to give asylum to people now instead of immigration judges. So what has happened now? The Supreme Court has helped set the stage for the incentivization and decriminalization of illegal immigration. We're going to see this wave here. And now Joe Biden wants his DHS to be able to grant citizenship to people that have legally entered our country. You know, Stephen Miller, what bothers me is a couple of things here. Uh, where's the law about aiding and abetting law-breaking, sanctuary cities, sanctuary states, for example? Um, I do think what the, what the justices are saying is we do need a new law. As part of any new law, I would require that everyone have a security background check before they can enter the country. I would require a health check, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I would require uh, that they show that they, have, that they will have the means to take care of themselves and not be a burden on the American taxpayer, uh, and that they go through the process legally. We're talking about illegal immigrants here. Um, but yet, I guess the court doesn't really see it that way. It's kind of hard to understand the, the reasoning behind it. Well, we were all disappointed with Kavanaugh and Roberts going the other way on this. But let's get to the heart of this issue. Donald Trump built the greatest border security regime in the history, not only of our country, but any country. I was there. I saw it firsthand. Anyone from any country, any time, who crossed our border illegally, we sent them to Mexico, we sent them to a safe third nation, or we sent them home. There was no slippage. There were no break-ins. We had zero I repeat, zero discretionary releases in 2020. You were sent to another country. Biden has spent every minute, every hour, and his deputies every minute, every hour dismantling border security, 
dismantling our sovereignty, dismantling our safety, and his hands and his administration's hands are drenched in blood. Americans are dying in record numbers. Migrants are dying in record numbers. This issue alone can give us the largest House majority we've ever had. And if he chooses to run, this issue alone is enough to put Donald J. Trump back in the White House. What's happening to our country is a tragedy of unmatched proportions. And Mr. Attorney General, you know, it's even worse than that because you have process and release. So that encourages and entices people to take this perilous journey. We saw what happened earlier in the week, 53 people dead in the back of that, that trailer. Um, so it's not safe for any of them. And then when they get here, they get preferential treatment. There's no COVID testing. There's no vaccine mandate. Uh, you get a, a Biden phone and you get uh, a chartered flight to some city or state somewhere else in the United States at some point. So that sounds like preferential treatment to me. I, I don't know any Americans getting free phones and free transportation. Do you? Hey, Sean, what is going on is not in, is not humane. It's insane. And, you know, I'm a first generation American and I don't do polling, but I talk to my mom and her friends from church and other people that have fled communism. And they will tell you they are so offended by what's going on now. So many recent migrants are first generation Americans because no one gave them free flights to go visit their cousins. They had to work two and sometimes three jobs in order to make it. And that's all the American dream is about is equality under the law. And the rule of law has to mean something. And we have seen that the consequences of a broken Congress has been devastating this country for years. But combined with Joe Biden's open border policies, we are completely eradicating and eliminating the rule of law. And we are paying the price, not only with our lives, but in our treasure. It would, wouldn't I, Stephen Miller, if I met somebody entering the country and helped them cross the border illegally and drove them to whatever state, wouldn't I be guilty of aiding and abetting in a crime? Wouldn't I be guilty of human trafficking? Because yeah, I you think would, I would. You would be jailed for multiple. You'd be jailed for multiple felonies. Let's be very clear. Whereas Donald Trump declared war on the cartels, war on the smugglers, and war on the traffickers, Biden and his deputies are co-conspirators. They are guilty of human smuggling. They are guilty of human trafficking. And I hope a new Republican majority, if they win, will, app will appoint a select committee, subpoena each and every individual responsible, and wherever the facts support it, refer for criminal prosecution. What is happening is complicity in human smuggling and trafficking. I think it's well said. And by the way, they've encouraged all these people to make this journey. And when people die, yes. guess what? I would argue they are partly, if not wholly, responsible. You all right, right, Stephen Miller, uh, Attorney General Bernovich, thank you for being with us. Straight ahead. Okay, uh, Henrik Palgram from Red Eyes, not a big fan of the Anti-Defamation League. So here's uh, Henrik says the ADL have announced a combat plan to control information globally. Right? Speaking of martyrs complex, anything that exposes Zionism, criticizes Israel, APAC, or questions disproportionate Jewish influence is reframed as hate and extremism. The combat plan is a comprehensive six-part approach for federal, state, and local governments to consider policy frameworks to fight domestic and global anti-Semitism. The combat plan's six points are condemn all forms of anti-Semitism, regardless of the source, and respond to anti-Semitic incidents in timely, specific, and direct ways. Oppose hate and extremism driven by anti-Semitism by improving hate crime data collection and reporting and adopting government-wide measures to combat all forms of domestic anti-Semitic extremism. 
Make communities safe from anti-Semitism. Protecting the physical security of community institutions and safeguarding Jewish students in post-secondary institutions. Block anti-Semitism online. Adopt whole-of-government measures to combat all forms of online anti-Semitism. Act against global anti-Semitism by amplifying international efforts and strengthening the office of the U.S. Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism. And finally, teach about anti-Semitism. Promote understanding of Jewish people today and include anti-Semitism in anti-bias education and related trainings. ADL's Combat Plan offers a wide-ranging policy agenda to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and to protect democracy, securing a just and inclusive society. So Jews who are involved with the ADL are rarely Orthodox Jews. So Orthodox Jews, by and large, put no energy into combating anti-Semitism. There's no commandment in the in the Torah to combat anti-Semitism. It's something that fills the lives of Jews who are not particularly interested in Judaism, but they need something to fill the hole. Speaking of filling the hole, here's Kenneth Brown. Christianity, which is an imperial religion, which is, has commonalities with the Vedics and with the Zoroastrians and the Egyptians, who all had multi-ethnic empires, who all had imperial religions. Judaism, uh, in my opinion, uh, points toward the idea of a multi-ethnic origin with the 12 tribes, 12 distinct nations living in 12 distinct regions. Uh, yes, these were very small regions, right? Judea and Samaria, this is a small area of the planet Palestine. It's a small, teeny little thing the size of Long Island. But um, at the time, you have to understand that without cars, uh, that on the other side of the world, North America, if you look at the West Coast, there were language families of Native Americans living within 40 miles of one another who couldn't speak common language. There was no mutually intelligible language. So it's entirely possible for an extremely tribalistic environment to have 12 different nations of people living in a very small geographical area that later through the adoption of languages like Hebrew and Aramaic, were able to coalesce into a single unit. But it's an interesting concept. And yeah, it's an interesting concept for which there's no evidence. I mean, the, the evidence is that uh, Jews have, Ashkenazi Jews in particular, have uh, you know, a lot of uh, genetic markers in common. So they're, they're not 12 completely disparate nations, right? There's no... Where does he we come up with the idea that the 12 tribes represent 12, 12 nations? That's uh, absurd. Now, thinking back to the ADL video, uh, Jews benefit from accurate criticism as much as non-Jews. And so frequently organizations, activist organizations like the Anti-Defamation League, they fundraise and they get power and prestige by exaggerating the problem. So just as psychiatrists right? Psychiatrists get more status, more power, more prestige, and more income. The more people they can diagnose as mentally ill and needing their care. So too, the bigger the problem that the ADL can paint, then the more power, status, prestige, and money-making opportunities they have. So the ADL would love to make, you know, criticism of Jews or criticism of any minority group essentially forbidden which doesn't do Jews any favors, doesn't do non-Jews any favors. We all benefit from accurate criticism. And so if there's such a thing as anti-Semitism, why is it there anti-Gentilism? But you never hear that, right? It's just anti-Semitism. So using this mystical concept it is bogus, right? You can certainly be anti-Jewish, like you can be anti-Gentile. Approximately, in my experience, about 
as many Jews proportionally have instinctive negative reactions to non-Jews, as it seems to me non-Jews in America have instinctive negative reactions to Jews. If you strongly identify with your in-group, you are very likely to have concerns, fears, criticisms, and dislike for out-groups. So strongly identifying Jews are quite likely to have fear and concern and dislike for non-Jews, just like strongly identifying Christians or strongly identifying Muslims or strongly identifying blacks or strongly identifying Mexicans or strongly identifying Japanese, very likely to have negative reactions to you know, outgroups such as Jews. So this is not something that's unique to Jews. It's not unique to anti-Semitism. And suggest that, at least initially, Judaism was an imperial religion that then became what I would call minoritarian religion. That is a religion which recognizes itself as being surrounded by um, masses of people who threaten the integrity and the survival of a particular in-group. Right. So how do you survive as an in-group when you're a tiny minority and you're obviously surrounded by out-groups. The only way that you survive is by constantly reminding yourself of how your ways are superior to those of the majority. Now, at the same time, you will you'll borrow from the majority, you'll implement some of their ideas, you'll recognize at times that the majority is doing something smarter, wiser, more effectively than you're doing. But generally speaking, the only way to survive as a civilization, as a minority civilization for millennia, is to continually have the mindset of comparing that which is your in-group to the out-group. And it's only by having this obsession with in-group identity that your group is going to be able to survive. Now, in the age of liberalism, in, in the age that we, we now live in, this seems all primitive and tribal. Tribal is kind of a, a dirty word in, in the 21st century, but it is a practical program for success. Now, one thing I noticed that I want to talk about more in the future is that, uh, generally speaking, when you encounter people who are strongly opposed to classical liberalism, they also tend to be quite anti-Jewish. From, from Carl Schmitt to other reactionary thinkers on the right, attitudes towards Jews tend to correlate with people's attitudes towards classical liberalism. And people on the far left who also despise classical liberalism will also often have a problem with the tribalism of Jews. Within Vedic religion, there is the concept of caste which is meant to preserve distinctions between people. I'm not sure, I'm, I'm not aware of any such thing in Zoroastrianism, but I'm sure something existed to that effect um, in one way or another. In Egyptian religion, you had the pharaohs. The pharaohs were distinct from their bloodline, was distinct from the rest of Egyptian. So I'm not a big fan of an ethnic lobby essentially being giving, given the power to set free speech guidelines for, for big tech, and that's the situation we have today what is permissible to say on YouTube, what is permissible to say on Twitter and on Facebook is essentially governed by the preferences of the Anti-Defamation League, which is a Jewish ethnic lobby. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea for Jews. I don't think it's a good idea for non-Jews. I don't think we should allow any particular ethnic lobby to 
get to decide what we can say publicly. And if people aren't allowed to publicly criticize your in-group, then your in-group is much more likely to behave badly and out-groups are going to be resentful of that, right? You give special privilege, special power, special consideration to minority groups that the majority doesn't get to have, then you're essentially incentivizing the majority to have a hostile reaction to your in-group, right? So affirmative action has not you know, brought about racial healing in America. It just provokes resentment. Any kind of affirmative action, any kind of special treatment for people on the basis of their beliefs or on the basis of their race tends to develop rage on the part of outgroups. I don't see how this is something that's good for America. I want to talk a lot more about martyr complex. Uh, I want to hear from people on martyr complex. Uh, it just seems dominantly prevalent uh, throughout the distant right. It's a subset of victimhood thinking, right? That uh, when you fail, when you have problems, it's because you're, you're a victim. So I, I want to find out, are there any prominent members of the distant right who don't be evince strong elements of martyr complex? So to be continued, bye-bye.